attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Scott Kalick. Scott and I sat down at post camp and had a nice talk uh, both about post camp and about his time as a camper and counselor. And I think you'll dig that. Before we get to that, let me just say, it is the most wonderful time of the year. If you don't know, uh, I'm a big Christmas fan. A lot of you guys know that I worked uh, very closely, hand-in-hand with Santa Claus for a long time. In fact, Santa was kind enough to actually give me a call uh, just before the Thanksgiving Day Parade. So we're still close uh, as far as the other nonsense that goes with the holidays uh, and whatever religious ties you may connect to, whatever days you may celebrate. I don't care. Do whatever you want. That's your business. That's none of my business. I know about Santa Claus. I know about the big fat guy dressed in red, although he was dressed in blue at the Kentucky Wildcats game the other day, and that was pretty cool. But I know about that guy, and I know about the joy of giving gifts and presents and love and uh, all that good stuff. So that's what the holidays are about to me, and uh, I'm enjoying every minute of it. So there's your holiday update uh, from me. Uh, please feel free to send me your holiday updates if you'd like. Send them over to Christopher at campojibahistory.org or your holiday music suggestions as we spend this month of December here on the podcast with some upcoming shows. I know the past few shows we've been doing double episodes. We've been doing really long ones. So Scott and I are very brief. This is a quickie. Uh, but don't worry. We're going to get right back to it next week with a special uh, two-family member double feature next week. So look forward to that. But for now, let's get to it. Here we go. Scott Callick on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. For the record, please state your name and your years at camp. My name is Scott Kalick. I was a camper in 1970 and 1973. I was a counselor in 1977, 1978, and 1979. And I'm a veteran of probably 17 or 18 post-camps. Very nice. So how did you come to know about Camp Ojibwa? My parents were actually friends with Mickey and Riva, and they brought me up to post camp for the first time in 1965 when I was about seven. And when I was about 11 or 12, I'd been to a couple different camps. And one one evening, Mickey showed up with his little with his little film projector, nice. and uh, <laughs> you know showed me all these films about. Uh, camp and you know how great it was and and uh, I signed up right there 
So you come to camp that first year. What's uh what's the fir- very first thing you remember about camp? I remember I was wearing my my mom had packed me a bunch of uh, clothes and I you know I, I just reached in one day and, and I grabbed I I grabbed a uh, sleeveless t-shirt and immediately all the counselors started telling me I, I was wearing a dago tee and they 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 were always pointing at me and saying hey he's got a dago tee. And I never wore I never wore that shirt again that summer. That was it. It was <laughs> sure. It was done. It was retired. <laughs> the ribbing can be strong at Camp Ojibwa. Uh, you come up that first year. Do you remember any of your counselors? My uh, yeah, Freddie. It was Freddie Burns was my uh, was a senior counselor. Mark Jacobson was a senior counselor, and Ricky Patter was my JC. Very nice. Very nice. Rick was just here at the beginning of the summer for, uh, visiting, and for the first time he'd been on the grounds in like 30 years, he said. Yep. Remember him well. Yeah. Nice. So you come up now, what cabin are you in? You know, they put me in cabin five the first year, and I, I was actually the oldest kid, and about maybe three, four weeks into camp, they switched me into cabin eight. Oh, okay. With kids my own age. Oh, I see. Maybe they didn't have a room or something. That's I don't know. I, you know, move. it was it was kind of a weird thing. I mean, I, I it wasn't like I was unhappy. They just decided to make the switch, and it was okay. What were the things about camp that right away you took to that were your favorites right away? Um, I loved just the – I just loved the competition. I loved playing softball and baseball all the time, and uh, I wasn't that good at basketball or some of those other sports, but – you know, I, I hung in there and kind of learned how to play. I wasn't in organized basketball or anything like that at home. But I kind of learned how to play, and, and I just I just remember coming back from camp after the first summer there and, like, you know, becoming one of the better athletes at school. I mean, mm. everything had really improved for me. Oh, nice. And in softball, what's your position? I usually played um, – I played the infield, and then they put me – you know, and then a little bit later they put me into the outfield – um, you know, I was, I, w- I would say I was never a top tier athlete here, but, but I was always pretty proficient in, you know, in what I did. Right on. Camp's pretty good for that too. Even if you're not a great athlete, camp teaches you because you're playing so many sports every day. Right. It's hard to wrap up a whole summer and not be better. Right. <laughs> for sure. Um, so what is it about those camp years, uh, early on, especially that first year that makes you want to come back? You know, I didn't come back. Um, for for th- two years after that, because um, you know, I, I was I grew up in the city, and there was nobody. I didn't know really anybody at camp. So, mm. you know, the first year camper, until you're used to the rhythms of, you know, of uh, of getting teased and and that type of thing, it, it it can be tough. And and I didn't take well to that, and I didn't come back for a couple years, and. Um, and then I came back in 1973, and I was put in cabin 13, and, and that was that was a tough situation too. But I, I have to say, it, it made me a lot tougher. It made me a lot tougher to to have have gone through that. Gotcha. Now you say you're from the city. Does that mean by that time a lot of the camp kids had, were coming from the suburbs already? Almost everybody was from the suburbs. I mean, gotcha. I think there were there were a group of there were a, group, a small group of kids who who were from the city as well, but. None of the guys I went to school with or knew from you know from there. So I was really one of the only. You know, really, I, I, I was fairly all alone. You know, gotcha. That can definitely make camp a yeah a difficult journey. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, we've talked a little bit about sports. Outside of the sports, what were some of the other things you liked about camp? Being a camper. 
Um, definitely like the food. I mean, you know, Al Schwartz put such an emphasis on food, and uh, you know, and the food was phenomenal. And and I just remember Otto was the baker, mm. and and I remember Otto would come out with holding a pie in one, each hand. He'd come out of the double doors, and and everybody, would, you know. The, the cheers and everybody, you know, giving him cheers and yelling and <laughs> he had this ear to ear smile on his face. And he was such a gentleman. I mean, he was, he was such a sweet guy and just, you know, just, I, I, you know, I still remember he was about six foot six and, you know, towered over everybody. And he's just, you know, he was so benevolent and he just had this huge smile on his face and the desserts were really world-class. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that anyone anywhere has ever gotten more love out of life <laughs> than Otto the Baker got from Camp Ojibwa. It's, it's funny. I he he was up at camp post camp, oh the summer before he passed away, which I think was 2007, and he came up and he was sitting out there, and and uh, Billy Schwartz and I walked up to him and we were talking with him, and and he just he couldn't say enough about Al Schwartz, and he said this was the best job he ever had in his whole mm. life. And uh, how much he loved it and, and how Al treated him so well. And Al gave him whatever ingredients he wanted to make whatever he wanted. And just the amount of um, adulation he got and, and, the, you know, and just the love he got from everybody and, and how gratifying it was. It was really, it was, it was, he was about 85 at the time. And it was, wow. it was really great to talk to him. You know, it was just great to see him again and great to talk to him. And he was really a gentleman. Yeah, what an interesting guy. I mean, I've heard so much about him through this, talking with guys about him, and uh, it's a shame I didn't get to meet him. Uh, he's a really interesting character. And the mayor of Eagle River, I believe. Twice, I think. <laughs> it's one thing to get the job. It's another to get the job again. <laughs> right. That means something. Exactly. <laughs> so you you do a couple of years at camp. You come back in 13. And 13, especially in those days, can be pretty rough, um, having two age groups, sometimes three age groups in the same cabin together. But then you come back as a staff man for three years. So what's that transition like for you? I mean, I have to say those were the best summers of my whole, you know, those are the best summers I ever had. They were, they were just, um, I mean, the friendships I made and the, um, uh, you know, it was just, it was just fun all the time. I mean, you know, I, you know, you stayed in great shape cause you were always exercising and, and, um, you know, just the, um, the chance just to influence, you know, I mean, you, you know, you're dealing with, eight and nine and, you know, 12. And I mean, you, you, you have an opportunity to really kind of influence their, their lives. Mm. Um, but just the relationships I had, you know, and the friendships I made with other staff members were, you know, th that was clearly a highlight of my, of my entire life. Yeah, for sure. Who were some of those guys that uh, became your friends out of that? Situation? Um, Jerry Gilbert and Doug Meyer and, um, Steve Katz came a little bit later. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, th these guys have, really become my lifelong friends. Mm. Very nice. And what about, uh, were there campers that you particularly connected with during your time as a staff guy? Or? You know, uh, I moved out of Chicago in 1988, so I don't run into my old campers. Mm. Um, I, I, I will, I'll tell a funny story. Uh, it's a lot of pressure to say it's a funny story because <laughs> it might not be funny to everybody. But um, in 1978, uh, well, let, let me back up a second. Uh, I'll preface the story by there was a movie that was made in Eagle River on Catfish Lake um, called The Omen in the mid-70s. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, nobody ever told you that, huh? I did not know that okay. that was... I mean, I know The Omen. I know yeah, the well, there was, yeah, there, sure. there was a house across the lake, and that's where they filmed it. Wow. And and The Omen was a story about the Antichrist. You know, the Antichrist is born, and, and, uh, and the Antichrist is named Damien. 
So fast forward to 1978, um, and I had a I had a kid in my cabin whose name was Todd Denenberg, and and Todd uh, Todd at this point I've lost track of him. I don't know what has happened to him. He he may be, you know, involved in the Mother Teresa project. He may be feeding, you know, hungry people in Africa. Sure. Um, but let me tell you, in 1978, Todd was a holy terror and. Todd got to the point where I think half the people at camp didn't even know his name was Todd because he was just referred to as Damien. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So Todd, um, uh, Todd, uh, just terrorized everybody. And, you know, and as a staff man in in our cabin, you know, you just, you kind of learn to deal with him. You know, you kind of learn to manage him and deal with him, and it wasn't easy, but, there was a particular issue that we had in the cabin when, this, this year, and kids continued to walk into the bathroom, and they peed all over the toilet seat. Sure. And, and they left it there. Okay. And so, you know, I would, uh, you know, nighttime when the lights went out, I'd make my little speech, and I'd tell them, hey, you know, you, you have to be considerate of your other campers. Keep happening. And, you know, then I, next night I'd be yelling at them, you know, I don't, you know, you can't do this. I don't want to see this. This is disgusting. You know, and it got to the point where it's, I started getting really upset about it. So one day I, I went into Denny's office and I said to Denny, look, I'm having this issue and these kids keep peeing on the toilet seat and it probably shouldn't bother me as much as it does, but it really bothers me. What do I do about it? And Denny says, well, that's an easy one. He said, next time it happens, he said, you take the kid and you make him pull down his pants, and you make him sit on that for two for two minutes. <laughs> so I, I said, "Wow, that's a great idea. <laughs> sure. that, that is awesome." Sure, I, I, my, my, all my problems were solved. So anyway, we had some great kids in our cabin, and 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 then we had Damien, and um, one of the kids I really liked, his name was Steve Weiskirch. I think we we nicknamed him Itchy because his brother was nicknamed Scratchy, or it may have been sure, may, may have been vice versa. <laughs> but but Steve was kind of the anti-Damien, like you know, Steve was this really well-behaved, uh, conscientious kid. I mean, upstanding. I mean, tried his hardest. You know, he was really really a good kid. So anyway, one day I walk in the cabin and I walk into the bathroom and I, I see Damien. I see Todd Denimerg walking out of the bathroom. So I open up the stall, and I look at it, and sure enough, there's a ring of whiz all over the toilet seat. Okay. So I, you know, I, see, I see Damien, I see Todd walking out of the cabin. Denenberg, get over here. He comes walking back. And I said, I bring him into the, I said, come here. And I, I open the stall, and I show him. And he says, I didn't do it. And I said, sure. Right. I said, okay, now I want you to pull your pants down and I'm going to pull out my stopwatch, and I'm going to time two minutes, and you're going to sit on that. He said, I didn't do that. And I said, I'm sure, I said, I don't believe you, and you're going to do it. You know, and of course he denies it again, and and I yell at him. I tell him, pull his pants down right there. He starts grumbling a little bit and unhooks his pants, and he sits sits down, you know, and I I walk out of the bathroom, and I time two minutes on the stopwatch. I walk back in, and I, I said, you know, now you can go. You know, and he 
swears at me and says a few things and okay well i'm not the one with whiz all over my butt but go ahead sure go ahead. have a have a great day <laughs> so about an hour later steve weisker corners me and he says scott I, I need to talk to you about something i said what he says no no we, we have to go in private i said okay so we we walk over and where nobody is and i said what's up he said, I feel horrible. I feel really guilty. I said, what? He says, well, he says, Denenberg didn't pee all over the toilet seat. He says, I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brutal. <laughs> so there might be an Antichrist, but there's also a God. <laughs> wow. Ah, <laughs> uh, poor Denenberg. <laughs> well, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, so I can see you bonded with your campers very well. Excellent. <laughs> um, so your staff years go by, and then uh, and then you start coming back for post camp. How long before? How long between your last staff year and your first post camp year? Do you remember? You know, here's a funny one. I uh, I actually came for half my honeymoon. Half my oh, wow. my honeymoon to 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 uh, post camp. We ended up going to Acapulco for the first week, and then we came back for post camp for the second. And um, so. We did that, and then... Um, did she know what she was getting into? I no, mean, absolutely was... not. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, we're not still married. Well, but... there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so then I moved to Pittsburgh the following year, and we, we kind of got away from it. And then when my son got to be about nine or so, he I sent him up to camp as a camper. And then we started coming for post-camp. Mm. And my daughter was about two, and, and she really loved it. I mean, she really loved coming up here. So Nice. And that's been the story ever since. Right. And then they stopped coming, and, and I've continued to come because <laughs> it's my favorite place on the whole planet. Very nice. Uh, I, you've probably heard me mention during post-camp more than once. I, I say it all the time. But I was, a camp, I was at camp as a staff guy for eight or nine years before I ever stayed for post. It just never crossed my mind like people didn't you know and, and camp guys who are just camp guys are always like oh it's just camp's eight weeks the rest of it's blah. um but i stayed for about six hours into the first time and i was like oh this is amazing this is uh, this is the best uh so for me I, I wanted to make sure that as this project goes forward and i'm working on the history of camp and, and that sort of thing the post camp gets its due because post camp or post season has been around almost as long as camp I mean, going back into the 30s and 40s, Pearl and Al were already having friends come for the off after season and stay for a few days, and some staff would stay and wait on tables and stuff. Right. So, so you've been around for a lot of post camps. A few stories had to have bubbled up over the years. Maybe a couple of good uh, post camp stories. Couple good post camp stories. I mean, number one, post camps really special. It's a, it's a special special time because you have. A lot of the post-camp families have been coming up 20-plus years. Um, and as you come up here and as you spend the time, it, you, you feel like you're spending a week with your, you know, with, with close friends. And, and you become closer and closer, and you see their kids grow up. And it's really a special time. Um, good post-camp story. I mean, so many memories. Um, one one. One thing that sticks out was my ex-wife. Uh, you know, we'd come up as a family every year. I, um, and we had some friends who we met up here, and, and one of the one of her friends got breast augmentation surgery, 
and and she for whatever reason became kind of fanatic about having everybody mostly women feel her feel her new breasts so sure. one so one day um she convinced my ex-wife to feel them and uh, my ex-wife stuck her hand up in her shirt and she's feeling them and as she was feeling them they were outside and and a group of a group of uh men walked around the corner and and <laughs> <laughs> and caught them in the act. <laughs> and I think that may be part of post, post-camp history there. <laughs> the total innocent act of one woman just examining another woman's new breasts. <laughs> Too bad there wasn't YouTube back then. Sure, sure. <laughs> wow. Um, what else? Any other... Uh, now, now, to be fair, though, I have heard that uh, in the... Glory days, quote unquote, of uh, post camp. That you know, the the seventies were didn't the seventies stayed for a very long time at post camp is what I've heard. I I got there a little bit after that. Uh, from what I've heard, and you know the stories are out there that there was a pretty wild group. You know, pretty wild group of post camp people. Um, yeah. A lot of you know all day parties and everything, and that. You know, I didn't see that as much. Um, by the time I started coming to post camp, it was it was a much uh, tamer group, um, a lot of you know, a lot of young kids, and right. just and, and to be fair, like the first week post camp, very family oriented. Um, probably right. since I started coming, which was you know around two thousand or so, very very family oriented, and um, and I, and I have to say, like post camp, one of the, one of the great things is the talent show. I mean, just mm. just seeing the little kids get up there and perform, and then. You know the adults get up there and they they, you know they they make these great songs and it, that's uh, that's a wonderful part of post camp. It really is. Great it's tradition. it's such a simple little tradition and like it's you know, uh, no, nothing that happens on a stage is going to win any awards. It's or it, it, but it's so loving and like everyone every kid that goes up there everybody's cheering that kid on. It's not just the, their that kid's parents and and then the groups get up and they do little battles back and forth with their songs and things like that. It's really fantastic. And it just shows how much love is really in the whole group. Yeah. I mean, I remember my daughter came here for the first time when she was two and she got up and sang the ABCs and, and just, just to watch her do that, you know, stand up in front of a group and, and bust that out. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, it's just, it's something I'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the big question, the one I ask everyone, um, Camper, staff man, post camp. How has Camp Ojibwa affected your life? It's meant. Uh, I think singly, it is probably one of the most positive parts of my life that 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 I've had. I mean, I I think uh, in a lot of ways it's defined me. In a lot of ways, um, I've it's forced me to grow up in, into into manhood. Um, just to look at myself and see who I am and make decisions about the person I want to be and, and how I want to live my life. Um, but not only that, just the, the fun part of it as well. I mean, just, just, uh, to learn how to get along with people and to have fun with people and to enjoy people. Um, it's had a, a tremendous positive impact. And one thing I was talking with Barry Schwartz the other day, I was talking about his grandfather. And I have two amazing memories of, of Al. I mean, two really memories that stand out. Um, the one was, uh, there was a summer when I was a staff man, and, and I got assigned 
for hard, you know, uh, fast pitch, hard, hard ball um, on the far field. Mm. And so I, you know, I put on the catching gear and I was behind the plate and kids were, you know, standing up and we're pitching to them, taking turns. And Al walked, Al walked up to the far field and he had thick glasses and he has a little hat. He had a little hat that he wore and thick glasses and he was 73 at the time. And Al, you know, came up and said, let, let me take a swing. And so we, you know, of course, we gave him the bat. And I was sitting behind the plate. And first pitch comes in, and, and he hits the ball. And it goes probably about 10 feet from the, from the fence. Wow. <laughs> and, and I know I was probably 20 or 21 at the time, and I couldn't, I couldn't hit a hard ball over the fence at that point. And wow. he said, I, don't, I could do better than that. And second swing, he hits it over the fence. Wow. Yeah. He was a remarkable, remarkable guy. That was one story. But the the other story I remember about Al, and this really this really um changed me in a lot of ways. That he would get up after dinner and he'd just he'd tell you a little bit, he'd make a little speech, he'd tell you a little bit, you know, about how to live your life. And one night he got up and he said he said, I want to tell everybody something. He said, he said in, in life, if you do your part and just a little bit more, he said, you will be successful. And, you know, that's always stuck with me. I mean, in everything I've done, you know, if I'm sitting at the dinner table and I go to clear the table, somebody's house, I'll grab, you know, not only my plate, but three or four other plates. And I always think about him. Like, mm. I have to do my part and a little bit more. And I think about that in every aspect of my life. And it's such a simple message that he imparted that night, but it's something that's always stuck with me, and it's it's become really, I mean, a huge part of my life. And I mean, I I thank him. I thank him for that. You know, wherever he is right now, he's he was an amazing, remarkable guy. Nice. Well, I think I don't know if we can end on a better note than that. That seems to do it. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. This it. was this was a pleasure. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Scott Callick. Uh, really funny stories. Um, a, a much higher P content than we normally have in a podcast. Uh, I hope those with delicate ears are not offended. Uh, that's a pretty hilarious story, though. I'm certainly glad I, I didn't have to get punished in the 70s at camp as a camper who peed on the seat. <laughs> Uh, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, as always, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampoJibbaHistory.org, or swing by the website, CampoJibbaHistory.org. You know why you might want to swing by the website? It's the holiday season, and a great time to give gifts to loved ones. And, you know, it's always, what are you going to do? Get dad another tie, another shirt? I mean, clothes suck. Find something that means something. How about give a gift that lasts a lifetime? Campojibba history project commemorative brick right there on the grounds of Camp Ojibwa. Just head over to campojibwahistory.org, click on com- get my commemorative brick and you can take care of it right there and let them know in time for the holidays that you have given them the gift that'll last a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs>